Our text is Matthew 24, and I just want to point out again in verse 27, he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. I, being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. Amazingly, when the servant of Abraham told what his business was, why he had come, he told Laban all of his, about his great master and what he had, the wealth, the treasures of his master. He told him how he met his daughter at the well and how she so graciously brought water to not only him but to his camels. Still, the servant has no idea of how this is going to, to work out. And amazingly, in verse 51... In verse 50, And then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing proceedeth from the Lord. This is obviously the Lord's doing. We cannot speak unto thee bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before thee. Take her and go and let her be thy master's son's wife, as the Lord has spoken. And it came to pass that when Abraham's servant heard their words, he worshipped the Lord bowing himself to the earth. Oh, what precious treasures there are for us here in this portion of Scripture today. Let us ask the Lord's blessing. Again, Lord, we come seeking your face as we study this portion of Scripture of a bride being found for Isaac. You too are seeking your bride, making up your bride, the church, through those as they're saved and come under the gospel and placed in the body of Christ. We thank you for the blessed Holy Spirit who is doing his work in our midst, showing us the treasures of his master, our great Savior, telling us about him. And may you do that in this hour, we pray, and bless every heart we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The chapter before us is the longest chapter in the record of Genesis. and It tells of a love story. It pictures in type the love of Christ for his bride, the church. So we see here that Isaac is a type or a picture of Christ our Savior. Abraham's servant pictures the Holy Spirit sent out to bring the bride home. Great care has been taken in choosing Isaac's bride because through her eventually the Savior will come, through whom all the nations on earth would be blessed as God so wonderfully promised Abraham. All marriages, however, are a picture of this beautiful and unique relationship of Christ and his church, the bride. Paul writes the Ephesians so poignantly in Ephesians 5, verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. He says that to all the church. And then specifically, he says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and blameless and without blemish. So ought men 
to love their wives as their own bodies. In chapter 22, we saw Isaac obediently and willingly going to Mount Moriah with his father, willing to be the sacrifice as the father's beloved son, obedient even unto death. In chapter 23, we see the death of Sarah, a type of the sweeping changes that took place in Israel's status once the church is introduced into human affairs. And then we see in chapter 24, we see Rebekah as a type of the church. Here the bride of Isaac and is brought into Sarah's very tent. Parents and young people alike, there are very important lessons here that you need to, to study. And I would in, and just implore parents with children, as you rear your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, and while I'll just touch upon some of these things just now, there are important lessons here about marriage and the choosing of a mate that should not be overlooked, especially Christian marriage and, and the care that should be taken. Verse 1 tells us that Abraham was old, that he was well stricken with age. The Jews had three divisions of old age you might find interesting. Uh, old age in the mindset began at 60, and I'm not going to ask for volunteers to tell us which category you're in. I breathe a little sigh of relief that, uh, for me personally, that the old age was considered from 60 to 70. That's what they referred to as the commencement or the beginning of old age. And then from 70 to 80, that second section of the agedness, they were described as the hoary-headed age, the gray hair, the, the head that showed that there have been years and mileage put forth in this life. And then from 80 on, can you imagine, from 80 on, a man was said to be well stricken in years. Well, Abraham here certainly is well stricken in years because he is about 140 years old. One of the last of the patriarchs that we're told of living to such a great age. Isaac is about 40. So you young people are just about to melt trying to find that right mate. According to the biblical standard of Isaac, you're not too far off base if you're below 40. And so I'll just leave it at that. Let's leave age alone. We're just mentioning these numbers as we look at the story. The time had come, though, for Abraham to find a bride for his son Isaac. But we must say there was no hurry about this for whatever reason. I've been counseling and talking with a young man for quite a while, and he's been ready to be married for a long time. And it just seems that things are coming together for him now. And we met recently, and I said, well, you have not been old enough to, until now, obviously, for the Lord to bring a bride into, into your life. And we laughed about it. He readily agreed, yeah, you're right. This is, this is what the Lord's will has been. But the time has come to find a bride for his son. Abraham was grieved and horrified by the culture around him in Canaan. The people lived in absolute sordidness. And thus it has always been that the godly are surrounded by those who have no regard for the things that we treasure, the preciousness of these vows, the preciousness of the, the truths that we hold dear, the no point of reference at those precious things that God's people treasure and love. And so Abraham is very concerned that while the Lord had led them to Canaan, clearly, and uh, by his own hand, yet he could not allow his son, 
we use that word allow at 40 to marry someone uh, from the Canaanite culture. The women of Canaan were idolaters, worldly. They were unrestrained in their behavior and practice. You only have to read Leviticus 18 at the sins that God commands his not to ever be named among his people to learn of the culture at large during the time of Abraham. They had no knowledge whatsoever of the one true God, the creator God. There was not one of them, obviously, not a single one of them suitable for a bride for Abraham's son, Isaac. We would, could say, and no doubt the reason so much attention is given here to this marriage, that no other marriage in the Bible has ever been more important than this one because all the blessing, all the promise of the coming Messiah hinges on this marriage that's before us. All other marriages after this will not matter if this one is not right. And so great care is given not only by Abraham and his servant, and the, the Lord presenting this to us, the great care that God superintends the very details of our lives. Verse 1 gives us the state of Abraham's life. And what a statement it is. The Bible there records for us, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. We have been following Abraham for quite a while, haven't we? We've seen his ups and downs We've seen him on his worst day and on his good day, but aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit sees the whole and that the Lord sees the whole and not just one day or one hour or one season of our lives? Can we say praise the Lord right there? And the Bible tells us that the Lord blessed Abraham in all things. And we know that that's true, isn't it? That there was not a man like Abraham in all the earth. He was someone the servant could brag upon. Abraham knew that there must be a young lady somewhere, pure, God-fearing, in submission to her father, and yet willing to follow her husband. These are unique, not very, uh, these, these kinds of girls, well, I, may, I shouldn't use this statement I was about to say. I was going to borrow a statement that the old-timers would say, and I'll go ahead and use it anyway, okay? Ladies, you know I'm on your side, and I don't mean this. These kind of people don't run in large herds, all right? I'll just say it that way. They're rare. They're rare for a girl to be in submission to her father and yet willing to go with her husband. And yet this is the kind of bride that Isaac needed. And this is the kind of bride that describes a truly Christian woman, a Christian marriage. Now, the Holy Spirit holds Sarah up as a pattern for godly women, does, she, does he not, in the book of Peter. And so Isaac has had a high standard lived before him of what a wife and mother should be. And, and so we need to, to keep that in mind, that you parents in your marriage, which symbolizes Christ and his church, the most important relationship on earth, you're modeling for your children the very standard of what mates, what they should look for in a mate. And that should be a high standard. A girl should look to her father as being a protector and an honest and a godly man, a hardworking man, a defender, one who follows the Lord. And that standard should be set so high that not just anybody who comes along would catch her attention. And likewise, and while this is certainly not a sermon on courtship and marriage, as I mentioned from the outset, there's so many lessons that, that we can learn here. 
And so Abraham knew there must be someone like that, someone like we read of Ruth who tells you know, her mother-in-law, whether thou goest, I'll go, and where the, your people will be my people and your God my God. And, and God had, had made promises to Abraham that hinged on Isaac and his seed. And so even though Isaac is 40 years old, let us say it's, it's remarkable that he trusts his father's judgment and concern about uh, the choice of a bride for him. And, uh, but we see this as a pattern of Isaac's submission, do we not? Even on Mount Moriah, as he submitted to the plan of God when his father took him as a grown man. He was not a little boy. He was not helpless. He could have fought his aged father when he submitted to be the sacrifice if God willed it there on Mount Moriah. So we must also say that Isaac is a remarkable young man. And there are not many who run large herds who run like, like someone like Isaac. But obviously, Abraham had heard of his brother, Nahor's family. And we can only surmise here that they had heard the gospel when Abraham heard the gospel because that's where Abraham goes back to his people to find a bride for Isaac and, and even learned that Nahor had a young granddaughter named Rebekah. Abraham knew all this. And so he's not exactly stabbing in the dark. The Bible tells us back in Genesis chapter 22 and verses 20 and 23 where it says it was told Abraham about this granddaughter of his, his, his brother. And so Abraham began to pray, no doubt. Lord, could that be the one for Isaac? And we should see that you parents should be much in prayer for your children and, and for the young people of our church. We live in a very Canaanite culture today. Is there any difference between our culture and the culture of Canaan? And there's so, so many distractions and so many possible snares. And we must be not only pray for our own children. You say, well, praise God, mine are married, they're in good marriages and they're sound families, but we have a whole new generation coming up around us. And, and the nursery is growing every day, as you can see. And so we have a responsibility here, don't we, to pray. For these young people. I made a list of things when I became a father, a very specific prayer list that I prayed over for each of my children. And on that list uh, would be their, the mate that they would marry. And so I share with their, their mates on their wedding days that, and before that, that I've been praying for you long before I ever knew your name or before you were born, that the Lord would bring you into our, our child's life. And, and, and so you parents, that's a ministry. That's something you can do. Lord, guard their heart and guide them in the right way. And we see here, let me just pause, though, and say that the Bible does give specific instructions to us as well. This servant was given specific instructions, but God has given specific instructions to his people. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, that there's to be no marriage to an unbeliever. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And those who have been in a marriage where one mate, or in a marriage where one mate is not a believer, knows what darkness that is and what a problem that is. And what concord, what agreement hath Christ with Belial, or Christ with Satan? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, set apart for the Lord, as we've been looking at in sanctification, as God has said, I will dwell in them. And walk in them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Wherefore, come out 
from among them and be separate. This is the call of God's people. And while we're to be salt and light and, and to befriend and give the gospel to the lost, the, the standard for marriage for believers is in the Lord. And remarriage of believers in the Lord. This is the standard. And we see here that the father takes the initiative in finding the bride. Abraham sends out his servant. And so it is in our salvation. God seeks us out. He sends forth the Holy Spirit to woo us and to convince us and to show us the things of Christ. Can you see the servant as he tells about his master and his master's son, how he brags on them and how wealthy Abraham is, and he brings some of Abraham's wealth with him. The camels are loaded and the jewelry is shown that, that, was, that, uh, that God that Abraham the father had sent. And so in eternity past, the eternal God had took counsel within himself that he would provide a bride for his son, a fitting one, one who would share in all of his kingdom and all the treasury of Christ. Calvary first paved the way for the bride to be sought and to be brought in. Paul writes in Ephesians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Interestingly, with such an important job to do, with with such a sacred trust, that was all I could do to find a bride for myself. Can you imagine trying to talk someone else into being a bride for someone they had not seen? What a task this servant has. Can you imagine, go and go to my people. It doesn't seem like he has too, much, too many specific instructions. And don't come back without a bride for Isaac. But you see, Abraham had such confidence in the father. He had such confidence in the father's will. And the ability, that, in the wisdom that the father would, that, that, that would give to his servant to bring a bride back. And, and so the Bible tells us that, that though this is an important job, we're not given the name of Abraham's trusted servant. Now, we are told, that we know back in chapter 15, you remember when Abraham was trying to figure out God's will, and he said, well, maybe, Lord, you mean for me to adopt Eliezer, my chief steward, and make him my son, and you bring forth these promises through him. And so we know that Eliezer of Damascus was Abraham's chief steward at that time. But I remind us that 50 years has passed from Genesis 15 until now. And so we're not told the name of the servant here. It could be Eliezer. If Abraham's still alive, Eliezer could be, but it's likely that he he might not be either. So we don't know for sure. Uh, So much that that he asked God, Abraham trusted Elijah so much that he asked God, do you want me to make my trusted servant, the the heir? But here God is silent. In this longest chapter in Genesis, dealing with such a vital topic as a bride for Isaac, we're told all about the servant, his behavior, his earnestness, his zeal, his carefulness, his prayerfulness, all that he did, but we're not told his name. Often that is the case in the scripture. And we must remind ourselves that God's silences are just as significant as God's sayings. Often in the Bible, an unnamed man is the type of the Holy Spirit. 
and who never draws attention to himself. And, and we need to, to take note of that. The Holy Spirit, co-equal with God the Father and God the Son, never draws attention to himself. It's interestingly, there are movements in churches who do draw attention primarily to the Holy Spirit when he does not do that himself. He, he never draws attention to himself. And his office is to draw all men to the Son, the Savior, Jesus Christ. In John 16, when Jesus is prophesying the coming of the Holy Spirit, Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he tells us his ministry. He will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. You notice that. One of the key signs that the Holy Spirit is at work, he will point to the work of Christ and to the will of God, but never to himself. He will speak, not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me. Jesus said, He will glorify the Son, for He shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. This convicting work of the Holy Spirit, not only to convict us of our sin, but to teach us the things of Christ even after conversion. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that He shall take of mine and show it unto you. And we have a, a, a literal if you will, job description of the Holy Spirit in this age given to us by the Son of God. This was the assignment of Abraham's servant, acting in Abraham's absolute authority and on Isaac's behalf. The Holy Spirit in his work today goes in the authority of the Father and on behalf of the Son's work does he come and reveal to us the truths of Christ. God the Father performs and executes his eternal will in the world through his spirit, he's doing so even today. He sent the spirit at Pentecost to begin the great work of seeking a bride for Christ, his son. Notice here, though, in our record that the servant always acted according to the will of Abraham. He didn't come up with his own agenda. He didn't argue with Abraham. This is a crazy task you've given me to do. He didn't give all kinds of excuses like, I'm afraid I would have given to my boss if he told me to do this kind of job. You want me to go and get a bride for your son? Uh, go where and do what and convince who? We would have had all kinds of questions, but the, the servant is submissive to the will of the, the father, and he has the, the best interest of the son, Isaac, in mind. And notice there in verse 10 of chapter 24, for all the goods of his master were in his hand, and he arose and went. So I'm to read from that if this servant was the steward or the, the chief executive officer of Abraham's enterprise, and it was quite an enterprise. It was a wealthy man with servants and a large flocks and herds, and he was fabulously wealthy. This was his business manager. And he sends him with his treasure, unless there's any question whatsoever, this servant had the, the validations that he was the real deal. Now, anybody can go and say, I have a rich master, and he wants a bride for his son, and he's got all kinds of money. You can imagine that the folks back home want to see, what do you have? You know, what, are, how can we be sure that what you're saying is true? Abraham remarkably sent El I say Elizer, because I've always considered him to be Elizer, 
but he's nameless here, so we'll leave him nameless, sent the servant with his wealth to show it off to this, to convince uh, Rebekah to come. Abram placed his servant under a solemn oath that he would follow his instructions in every detail. In verse 3 we see it, And I will make thee swear by the Lord God of heaven, the God of the earth. So important was the sealing of this work that the servant would do. He could not choose a wife from among the Canaanites. It was unthinkable. Even if, if they would have been, that would have been a tradition, it would have been a marriage of convenience. If you're thinking just humanly speaking, for Abraham to choose one of the tribal chiefs or the regional kings and his son marry her da- his daughter like the royal marriages of the past, a marriage of politics. That would, is what would have been expected for a wealthy person of that day. And no doubt that continues to some degree even down today. He could have done that, but that was not God's will. I'm grieved as a pastor when I hear some Christians who know better, who want their children to marry just into well-connected families as some status symbol uh, of wealth and status rather than whether they're in the faith and in the will of God. I hear it all the time. Oh, he's a a nice boy. He comes from some over-the-mountain family of renown. Or his father's of this, his daddy owns this, or her, her parents. And they give all kinds of reasons, and you're wondering. Uh, and no, no mention is made of the being in the faith or following the Lord. The servant had a long and arduous journey ahead. Abraham was living at Hebron, and so the servant would head northward up the Jordan Valley, on past Damascus, then around the Fertile Crescent, into the eye of the east, as it was called, until after a long time he would cross the Euphrates River and reach his destination. What a trip. On camels. We sang recently, last Sunday evening, that glorious hymn. In the lines it says, From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. God the Father sent out from heaven his Holy Spirit, the blessed Holy Spirit, to come all this way from the very presence of God where in eternity past and up until he came to to bless and to be in perfect harmony and contentment all the way down to this sin-cursed earth, this idolatrous, hell-bound earth to seek out a bride for his well-beloved son. We notice in verse 12, when the servant arrived at his destination, he prayed. You see how we ought to conduct business, folks? He prayed about everything. He prayed before he left. When he got there, he said, Now, Lord, and we have his, his prayer recorded there. Let's, let's just read his prayer. O Lord God of my master, Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed. Bless me today. Help me to accomplish this job that you've given me to do. And show kindness and to my master Abraham. When we go out into the world day by day, we should say, Lord, bless me and use me and help show kindness to yourself. Get great glory out of my life. And as I tell others about your son, may you build your bride, your church, to the glory of your own name. We're here to glorify him. We've been left here for one reason, to bring glory to our Savior, to bring glory to our Father. And we see there, and we notice there, that he acts spiritually, especially in these areas of covenant marriage. 
The most sacred relationship on earth outside of your salvation is the marriage relationship. Do not take it lightly. And he prays. Jesus said men ought always to pray and not to faint. Pray without ceasing. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passes or surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He acts spiritually and then he acts practically. When he gets there, where does he go? Let's not overlook that. He made, in verse 11, he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, when? Even the time that women go out to draw water. Now, I'll just say in passing, I've said all along this is not a courtship message, and yet I've been mixing it in all along the way. Go to the right place to find the mate. Some people are looking for love in all the wrong places, as the old song says at the bar, some other place. You're not going to find the appropriate mate there, the, the one who's following the Lord. He, with practicality, said, I've got to find this relative, and I'm sure he probably knew to some degree who he was looking for, but he'd never met her. He wouldn't know what she'd look like, but he knew where in that area where the ladies would come at that particular time of the day, and he went to the right place, the well. And then notice he tests the candidates in verse 14. He says, let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, let down thy pitcher, I pray thee that I may drink, and she shall say drink, and I will give thee thy camel's drink also. Now what, he's really painting himself into a corner. Lord, let it be, and I'm not saying you should pray and put the Lord in this kind of a corner, although someone might give scriptural precedence. I'm just telling you what the, the servant of Abraham did. Let the one I ask, to give me some water because they would have the water pots, those pots that the women would carry on their, their head. Let her not only get her, her uh, water pot and give me water, but let her say, uh, let me f- give your camels water too. Now, that's really going beyond the, the call of duty and, and going the second mile, but that's how the, the servant said, I've got to know, and, and God is specific. Do you see how specific that he leads him? And for, not only for her to give water to him, That would be a gracious young lady, wouldn't we? She could say, mind your own business. My daddy told me not to talk to strangers. The fact that she would even be hospitable to him was a miracle, was of the Lord's working, and that she would say, not only will I give you water, but I'll give water to your camels. Now, listen, I want you to know that a camel could drink about five gallons of water. One camel. You know how many camels the servant had? He had ten camels. That's 50 gallons of water that'd be a lot of work for anybody to do i don't know how much her pot held but that's several trips from the 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 whale the water pot how many trips it would take from the water pot to the the camels and she not only watered the the servant but the 10 camels 50 gallons of water have you ever tried to tote water it's heavy I've always remarked, remarkable when I look at, go to the countries where the women carry the water. I've seen them carry five gallons of water in those plastic buckets on their heads. I've seen young children do that. And, you know, for us to lug one, one gallon about, we think, my, what, a, what an effort. Rebecca would have to be a very unusual young lady, wouldn't she? Here she comes, doing her father's will, 
Her father had sent her there at that specific time of the day. She, young people, was in the right place at the right time, and that will always involve being obedient in the submission to your parents. She was where she was supposed to be. She didn't, when she woke up that day, didn't know that great wealth lay before her that day. To be a princess among all women on earth, to be married to one of the wealthiest men on earth, she didn't get up and say, today I bet this is going to be the day. But what she did do was what she was supposed to do. Graciously, humbly, meekly, here she comes. She wasn't laying around painting her fingernails and working all day on Facebook, was she? She was working. A good, a good trait to look for in a mate, by the way. This girl had labor to do, even though her father himself was a man of means. It's interesting that he didn't send out his servants. His daughter was involved in the family business as well. She had work to do. And uh, this is good for your children, parents, to have jobs to do. Rebecca was unaware that she was being considered to be the bride of the most important man on earth. She was simply where she was supposed to be, doing her father's will, being kind-hearted, hospitable, willing to go out of her way to help others. Not a bad pick for a bride, was it? And it didn't hurt that she was pretty, too. Verse 16 tells us, and the damsel was very fair to look upon. The rest of the story unfolds. The servant then finds out that she was the daughter of Bethuel, the granddaughter of Nahor, Abraham's brother, the very one that Abraham had heard about and sent for. Can you imagine? Only God always works on both ends of the line. We worry and fret on this end. We worry and, and, and wonder about how things are going to be. We want the, the answer to every detail ahead of time. What's she going to look like? What color hair she's going to have? And, and in, not just in this area, but in all areas of life. What is our part to do? To worship the Lord. To bow before him and say, Lord, this is your will and I will do what you want me to do. We're to be submissive to the Lord, even as the servant of Abraham was submissive to him. We are to be about our father's business. We're to be submissive to the authorities over us. And one of my favorite verses in all the scripture is in verse 27. I have longed and not had the liberty to do so to preach on my favorite verses. And I'll just touch on it here. And just a part of that verse, one day if the Lord allows me, I'm going to preach on the verses I live by. And this is part of that, that philosophy of the scripture that the Lord puts within us. I being in the way, in the latter part of verse 27, the Lord led me. What an important thing. As you obey the Lord, as you submit to him, the Lord will lead you. Now we all realize the fact that we need to be led, don't we? We so desperately need the Lord's wisdom. And we need for him to lead us and guide us in every area of life, not just in these most important areas, but in every area of life. The, the servant of Abraham could say, I was in the way, the place of obedience, the path of duty, and the Lord led me. I think we see that throughout the scriptures, and we see also the other. We can see being in the wrong place at the wrong time, being out of the place of duty. If David had been where he was supposed to have been on the day that he saw Bathsheba, he would never have ended up in that, that horrible, horrible situation. And so the Lord gives us so much here to consider. The servant finds out that she's the daughter of Bethuel and the granddaughter 
of Nahor, Abraham's brother. And while we are not fully told in the scripture, she must have heard the gospel. It must have been passed down through Abraham's relatives when they were yet coming out of Ur and at Haran with his, uh, his father until his father died. And she was a believer. So important to Mary in the Lord. He's invited their home. Can you imagine? These things don't just happen. This is the will of the Lord. Isn't it amazing this girl would have invited a stranger? Well, now he was no stranger, although he said he was Abraham's servant. They didn't have credentials like we have today. But when they saw those ten camels loaded down with gold and goods and treasures, they knew he was not just somebody come to town with no means. And they invited him home. And the servant tells all about his master and his master's son. And we read there in verse 34, and he said, I am Abraham's servant. What a, a self-effacing title. He didn't get, I want you to know, this is my name, and this is who I am. How did he identify himself? As a servant of Abraham, do you know, child of God, you're the Lord's. I am a child of God. I am Abraham's servant, and the Lord hath blessed my master greatly. Here we see a wonderful, also, example of witnessing. Our job is to go out and give the gospel and to find a bride for Christ. We're deputized to do that. He begins to brag on his Savior, not, on his, his, his master, not himself. I think if we spent time bragging on the Lord Jesus Christ and living that out in our lives, he would be attractive to others, be made attractive to them. The Lord has blessed my master greatly, and he has become great, and he has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and men servants and maid servants and camels and asses. He goes down the list. He's descriptive. He tells all that his servant, his master has. And Sarah, my master's wife, bare a son to my master when she was old. And unto him hath he given all that he hath. Again, we see a picture. All that the father has given has has been entrusted to the son. And my master made me swear saying, Thou shalt not take a wife to thy son of the daughters of the Canaanites. If you find a pretty girl along the way, even a sweet girl, even a wealthy girl, she must not be of the Canaanites. She must be the one that God has chosen for my son, a believer, in whose land I dwell. Verse 38, But thou shalt go into my father's house and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son. And there he unfolds it. He tells again, and it's interesting how the Holy Spirit repeats things. We have the whole scenario repeated for us again. I came to the well. I said, whoever comes to the well and offers me water and offers it. He tells all that again in this long chapter. It's, it's, it's interesting to us, the emphasis and the repetition. Again, child of God, when you're reading the Scripture, when you see repetition in Scripture, that's for a purpose. And he rehearses the greatness of how the Lord has led him and how clearly he's led him to that very place. And amazingly, absolutely astoundingly, her father says, if she wants to go, she can go. Don't you know the servant was still amazed? I'm always amazed that when I present the gospel to someone, they say, yes, I want to be saved. It's still almost incomprehensible that God has shown them the things of Christ and that they've received them. And he, he said... She can go. And she, he, they gave them, in verse 51, Rebecca's before thee, take her and go. And let her be the master's son's wife, as the Lord has spoken. May I tell you that when we're sent on difficult 
jobs for the Lord and witnessing to others is always difficult. It's never, it goes against our flesh and our pride and all kinds of things. We feel our inadequacies. But may I let you know that God always works on both ends of the line when it's truly his work. And so we can, as we go out to witness, always we start, start our day, we can say, Lord, you have someone you want me to talk to today, I'm sure. Not only give me boldness, but let me have sense enough and discernment enough to know who it is. And would you be working in their heart just now so that I can speak to them and that they will be receptive uh, to what the, the claims of Christ. You see, all of this is done in prayer. This servant prayed that God would send him to the very one. And amazingly, we shouldn't be amazed, but what did he do? He answered prayer. He did it. And she was willing. And she said yes. And she came home. Do you know that God is more concerned about building his church than you are as burdened as you should be? We don't build a church. We don't build anything. We're just servants of the Lord, bragging on our master and telling how great he is and what he's done and how wealthy he is. That person has to come. Do you know that Rebecca had to be willing to come? But she had been made willing. God was working all the time. Do you see the sovereignty of God in salvation? He uses us. He sends us. He causes us to go. And he's working in their heart at the same time. We know that we see that throughout all the conversion stories throughout the scripture. And we see in verse 48 again, I bow down my head and worship the Lord and bless the Lord God of my master Abraham, which had led me in the right way Aren't you glad that God always leads in the right way? To take my master's brother's daughter. <laughs> it gets really complicated, doesn't it? My master's brother's daughter unto his son. The Lord said, I will build my church. And we have it vividly displayed before us today. May the Lord bless his word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we rejoice as we read such a story. Our hearts are encouraged that the gospel is true and that you bless it. And we pray, Lord, in our attempts today to go forth with the message of the gospel, that you would take it and show to those who will become part of the bride the richness and the wealth of our Savior. Oh, Lord, speak to every heart. Perhaps, Lord, there's someone here today who has not bowed their hearts and their knees and their lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. May they be willing to come to you just now, turning from their sin and resting in Christ alone for salvation. Oh, we pray that you'd glorify yourself in building your bride. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen.